This morning is our third series, third message in our series of Jonah. Now, kids, you probably got a children's bulletin when you got here, along with some crayons, and this is what I want you to draw as we go through our introduction. The drawing right now that I want you to look at is a dirty heart that's being cleaned. Okay, so draw a picture of a heart that parts of it are dirty, but parts of it are being cleaned. So far in the book of Jonah, our first week, we saw that God mercifully pursues his unmerciful messenger in order to reach the lost. Last week, we saw that God relentlessly pursues the lost so that they would call on him. The common theme that we've seen so far is that God is pursuing the lost. Whether that's the lost prophet, the lost sailors, or even in the future when we talk about the lost Ninevites, God is in pursuit. Why is God pursuing Jonah? Why is God so focused on pursuing Jonah? Is it because jo- God needs Jonah? God, the only way that Nineveh can be reached is through Jonah. Is that the reason? No. He pursues Jonah because he wants to reach Jonah's heart. Throughout the whole book, God has a goal to reach Jonah's heart. He's not interested in just external obedience He wants to see internal transformation. Here's the question I want each of us to answer before we get into our passage. Here's what I want us to be reflecting on. Where is God pursuing me? Ask that question. Where is God pursuing me? Now at this point in our story, it's pretty obvious that Jonah is not a hero. Over and over, he does the opposite of what he's supposed to do. So many mistakes, but God doesn't abandon him. God relentlessly pursues Jonah. Now, it's so easy for us to look at Jonah and see his obvious mistakes, and yet it's so hard for us to look in the mirror and see our own. The reality is, though, that we are like Jonah. Like Jonah, how often does God accomplish his purposes in spite of us instead of through us? Like Jonah, how often do we lack God's heart of pity and mercy for the lost? Again, where is God pursuing me? My fear is, is that we go through this whole book, we go through this whole series, and we have lots of new information without transformation. That we are then even more like Jonah. As we read through Jonah over and over again, we see that Jonah had the right information. Jonah had good theology. He knew the right things to say, but he didn't do them. The transformation was lacking. 
if we go through this whole series and we know the, the, the answers to the questions, what's Jonah about? What's God doing in Jonah? But we don't reflect and don't let it transform our lives, then we've missed the point. Where is God pursuing me? Take a moment now. Take a moment to look at your own heart. Specifically, look at your own heart in these two areas, the two goals that we have for Jonah for our church. Ask, is God pursuing my heart regarding the lost? Is my heart like God's heart of mercy and pity for the lost? If it's not, how is God pursuing me to change that? Second question, is God accomplishing his goal in my life through me or in spite of me? Take a moment. Where is God pursuing you? Now, now notice, I don't ask, is God pursuing you? Because God is always pursuing you. There is always a part of your heart that does not yet look like Jesus. There is always something that has not yet been transformed. So not, is God transforming you? Where is God pursuing you? Now, as we go into our passage, my question is, where did we leave Jonah? Where, where were we when, Jonah, when we saw Jonah last? As we finished last week, Jonah chapter 1, we get to the end, and at verse 16, we see that Jonah is sinking in the sea. Jonah rebelled against God and ran away, but God pursued him. Jonah refused to call out to God for salvation. Instead, Jonah chose his own path and asked to be thrown into the sea. When we finished last week, we finished looking at sailors rejoicing in God's salvation and Jonah sinking in the sea because of his sin. Now, Jonah sinking by choice. He asked to be thrown into the sea. What could we expect would be the reasonable thing for God to do now? Humanly speaking, I look at that and say, God, let him go. Let him drown. You pursued him over and over again. He abandoned you. He ran away, God. God, you already went after him. In chapter 1, we saw eight, at least eight very clear times that you pursued him, opportunities for him to turn, and he didn't, God. He chose his own way. He wants to die. Let him go. You, you've done enough, God. No one's going to look and say that, that you, you didn't try to pursue him. We all see that you did. Just, just let him go. But God doesn't. God still pursues him. And what we'll see today is that God delivers him. Our big idea this morning is that God delivers his servant even when the growth is small. God delivers his servant even when the growth is small. Look at, with me at Jonah 1.17. Remember, Jonah is sinking in the sea because of his own sin, and this is what it says. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, kids, if you're done with your first drawing, here's the next drawing that I want you to do. I want you to draw God saving Jonah by sending a fish to swallow him. 
Okay, God saving Jonah by sending a fish to swallow him. In Jonah 1.17, we see God's deliverance through discipline. What's so interesting about this verse is that we often miss what's happening. If you were to ask anyone, go and just talk to someone, hey, what's, what's the thing about Jonah? Tell me about Jonah. What's the one part that they are absolutely going to include? The fish. You ask anyone about Jonah, hey, what's Jonah about? What's the title that we see for children's stories? Jonah and the fish. Jonah and the whale. It's almost as if everyone's saying, like, that's the big idea, but it's not. Out of the whole book, the fish is only mentioned in two verses. The big idea, the the, the theme of Jonah is the pursuit of God. But God uses the fish in that pursuit. The first way we see God use the fish, and the fish is not the big idea, but God is using it. The first way we see that is God uses the fish to deliver Jonah. Jonah was sinking in the sea because of his sin. Jonah had no hope. Jonah was going to die, but God delivered him. God appointed a fish to swallow him. Jonah needed that fish. God used it to deliver him. But let's be honest. When we look at the fish, is the first word that comes to our mind deliverance. Oh man, look at Jonah. Jonah was just delivered. No. If I'm praying for myself, hey God, could you deliver me? And I think what I would like is to be swallowed by a fish. I, I, I don't know. I just feel like that would be a really good way for me to be delivered. Just something cramped, slimy, smelly, dark, and, and maybe for three days and three nights. We don't look at the fish as deliverance, but it is deliverance. Because if without it, Jonah dies in that sin, in that state, God pursues him. He delivers him. He gives him another chance. But again, It's not the deliverance that we would often expect, a deliverance that everything is perfect. Why? Because it's not only deliverance, it's also discipline. The second way we see God using the fish is to discipline Jonah. Why was Jonah sinking in the sea? It wasn't just a random set of circumstances. Jonah chose to run away. God pursued him. And right now he's disciplining Jonah Not out of spite, but to reach Jonah's heart. One of the principles that we see in Jonah and throughout all of Scripture is that God's deliverance is often synonymous with his discipline. God's deliverance is often synonymous with his discipline. Look at Hebrews 12, starting with verse 5. This is what it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. 
For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Look what it says. God disciplines the one he loves. God doesn't discipline Jonah out of spite. He's not doing this and saying, man, I want to get even with Jonah. Jonah made me run after him all of this time. He kept on ignoring me. Man, I'm going to show him now. Look at verse 6. It says the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God keeping Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights wasn't because God wanted to really make Jonah pay for his rebellion. God disciplined Jonah because he loved him. Now, how is that love? See, often we get these things mixed up with the way that we discipline. We discipline in spite, and we think that, we do, that we're doing that to show them. But the discipline is part of God's deliverance. Verse 11 of, of Hebrews 12 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline delivers. I have no doubt that the belly of the fish was painful and not pleasant, but God was delivering Jonah through that pain. God was using the discipline to start chipping away at Jonah's heart. Now, because this is Family Sunday, I want to address the families real quick. Parents, when we discipline our children, our model is the model that we see that God gives us. We're not disciplining out of anger. We should not discipline out of spite. Man, my, my son, uh, he, he embarrassed me in front of people. He made my life difficult I'm going to make his life difficult now. I'm, I'm going to show him. I'm going to embarrass him just so that he feel, sees how it feels. That's not the way that we see God discipline. God disciplines because he loves. That's the way we discipline. God disciplines to reach the heart, to deliver. We, our goal is to see our children's heart and to say we need to expose the evil in your heart so that you can see it, so that you can be delivered from it, so that you can see your need of Jesus. That's what we need to discipline. We need to follow that model. But kids, I'm going to talk to you real quick. When your parents discipline you, it's because they love you. They discipline you so that you can be saved from your sin. They discipline you to point you to Jesus. What we see is that God's discipline worked. While by no means is Jonah's growth going to be perfect and complete, we do see growth. God delivers his servant even when the growth is small and sometimes even before the growth has begun. Kids, we're going to go to the next part. Here's what I want you to draw now. Draw Jonah praying and praising God in the belly of the fish. Jonah is praising and worshiping God and praying in the belly of the fish. Go ahead and draw that. Let's look at Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. For the first time in the book, we see Jonah doing what we wanted him to do all along. 
Jonah is finally turning to God. Now, before we move on, I want to point out two quick comforts from this verse. The first comfort is in the faithfulness of God. Notice what it said. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. After all of Jonah's rebellion, after he turned his back on the lost, after running away, the Lord is still Jonah's God. What an immense comfort to us to us, that when we, that we run away so often, that we rebel against what God says, that God does not write us off, that God does, does not then refuse, I will no longer be your God, you don't deserve me. That God proves faithful to his unfaithful servant. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. That's a comfort. The second comfort is in God's omnipresence, that God is everywhere. Where's Jonah praying? Jonah is praying from the belly of the fish in the depth of the sea. He's not praying from the mountaintop. He's not praying on the altar. He's not praying in the temple. Jonah is praying in the depth of the sea, in the belly of the fish, and God hears him. The fact that God is everywhere and no matter where we are, we can cry out to him is a great comfort. See, when God confronts our hearts and our sin and God has exposed something to us, one of the reasons that we refuse to go to God is because we believe two lies. The first lie is that it's too late for me. I'm sure God doesn't want me anymore. I, I, can't go, I can't turn to him. He's, he's not going to want me anymore. I abandoned him. The second lie is that I've gone too far. I've run away too much. God won't listen to me. Both of those are lies. Jonah abandoned God, but God proved faithful. Jonah tried to run away, but he could not run so far that God would not still hear him. God was still Jonah's God. God still heard his cries from the belly of the fish. Let's look now at the content of Jonah's prayer. Now, as we read, I want you to notice that there's a change in genre. Even if you look at the, in your Bible or if you look at the handout on the back, you'll see that the structure of the words are different. It's structured like a poem. Now, the author here switches to that. He shows Jonah's prayer, and in doing that, we get to see Jonah's heart. We get to see the emotion of what's happening. Let's look at the first verses. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. What Jonah's doing is, is a type of poetry of a repetition of ideas. Jonah's giving the summary of the part that overwhelms him, the big thing that God did, that God still heard his cries. That even though Jonah was in the belly of Sheol, the idea of Sheol is the depth of death. 
It's that place, it's the pit, it's the darkness, it's the place of despair. That even there, God heard him. We can imagine why Jonah begins with these verses. He is overwhelmed with the God who cares for his insignificant servant. That's a comfort for us. A comfort that for all of us because we all run away. We all rebel at one time or another. That God still hears him. That God still listens and answers The next part of Jonah's prayer describes his descent, discipline, and despair. Look at verse 3, starting there. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Notice all the words that have the idea of depth or descent. If you remember last week, we talked about the juxtaposition of God saying, Arise, Jonah. The evil of Nineveh has come up before me. The the author of Jonah presents God as in the heights. And then there's a juxtaposition with Jonah who is descending. It says three times, and Jonah went down to Joppa. Jonah went down to the ship. He went down to sleep. There's that juxtaposition that God is in the heights while Jonah is descending. The author does the same thing here. Look at all the things. You cast me into the deep, the heart of the seas. Your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. All of these ideas that Jonah is recognizing that his way is far, that he has been separated from God, the God who is in the heights, he has been separated. But notice the reason that Jonah gives for being in the depths. Why does Jonah say that God did this? If we look back at chapter 1, it seems pretty clear that it was all of Jonah's decisions that led him to be at this point. And yet Jonah says that you caused the the waters to close. You cast me into the deep. I am driven away from your sight, all your waves, your billows. Why is Jonah saying that this is something from God? My opinion is that it's because Jonah recognizes that God's deliverance also includes God's discipline. The reason Jonah can recognize he is in the depths is because he is still alive. Because God delivered him. This prayer is happening three days after being thrown into the sea. After, three days after being asked to be tossed overboard. 
Jonah comes to the realizations of where he is because God is disciplining him. See, if Jonah didn't have this time of deliverance and then recognizing that, God, I am in the depths because of your discipline, if God had not delivered him, Jonah would never be able to see those things. He would never be able to come to these realizations. He says God did these things because he, as he has reflected over the last three days, he recognizes them as God's discipline. But notice that as we continue to look through Jonah's prayer, notice the emotion. Notice the tone of what's happening. Notice how his words descend into despair. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Those words are depressing. No one wants to find themselves in that position. No one wants to see, find themselves descending, disciplined, despairing. And yet that's where Jonah is, but that's not where his prayer ends. There is hope. Jonah's prayer here takes a dramatic turn. We see the rise, the, his remembrance, his rescue. Look at verse Sixth, the second part. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to to the Lord. Jonah is in the depths, but God brings him up. There's a rise. He says, yet you brought up my life from the pit. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. God didn't leave Jonah in the depths of despair. God brought him up. There's a rise. We also see Jonah's remembrance. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Jonah realized that his hope could only be in God. There was no other salvation. He remembered the Lord and turned to him in prayer, and God rescued him. The climax of Jonah's prayer is in the final verse. The rise reaches this crescendo and the light breaks through and he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's prayer gives us a glimpse into his heart. We see him overwhelmed with the God who listens and answers. We see his descent, his discipline, his despair. Then we see his rise, his remembrance, and his rescue. What we see in Jonah's prayer are elements of Jonah's growth. God delivered Jonah, God disciplined Jonah, and we see that Jonah grew. Quickly, I want to just look at five different areas we see growth in Jonah. The first is that he finally called out to God. It says in, in verse 1, Then Jonah prayed, 
Verse 2, I called out to the Lord. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Jonah is growing. In chapter 1, what we most wanted to see was Jonah, cry out to God, call out to him. Finally, we see him doing that. There's growth. We see that Jonah recognized God's discipline. He recognizes that the depth and despair is part of God's discipline. You cast me into the deep. I am driven away from your sight. That God is trying to reach Jonah's heart. Growth. We see that Jonah placed his hope in God's salvation. He says in verse 4, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He had hope in his moment of despair. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's looking to God for his salvation. We see that he praises God for his salvation. Jonah praises God because God heard him and answered him. God brought him up from the pit. God, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah praises God for his salvation. Jonah promises, or he promised, to sacrifice and fulfill his vows. He says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Five areas that we can look at Jonah and see that his deliverance, his discipline led to growth. He called out to God. He recognized God's discipline. He placed his hope in God's salvation. He praised God for his salvation. He promised to sacrifice and fulfill his vows. And yet while there is growth, On a closer examination, we see that it is not everything we would hope it would be. That Jonah's growth is not complete. That there's something lacking. The problem is that Jonah has a selective perspective. Jonah is not looking at the whole picture. Jonah is choosing what he will address in his prayer. We're going to go back and look through this, and we're going to see again five ways that Jonah demonstrates that his perspective is selective. The first way is that he has a narrow perspective. Look at the beginning. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Now, when exactly is that? We could imagine, well, I mean, Jonah was distressed on the boat. You know, there was a big storm there. But did Jonah call out to God on the boat? No. Jonah never cried out to God on the boat. This moment of distress is after he's in the water. Now, it's possible that there's actually two prayers here as we look through this. It's possible Jonah, when he addresses one prayer in this prayer, he might be talking about a watery prayer that while he was in the water, he prayed to God and God delivered him. And this is his second prayer. Or it's possible that it's all this one prayer. Either way, the idea is the same. All of Jonah's prayer 
This whole chapter encompasses three days of Jonah's life. I cried out to you in the moment of distress, and this is happening in the belly of the fish. He has a narrow perspective. He's not reflecting on what happened on the boat. He's not reflecting on what happened when God called him. He's only looking at this small sliver of time. We do that. How often when we pray to God, we just focus on the here and now, but not the why. We just look at what's happening right now. The problem is that a narrow perspective leads to a compartmentalized perspective. Jonah is only addressing some things because he's only looking at a small sliver. Look at the verse. He is willing to praise God for his salvation without confessing the sin that led to his current condition. He has praise without confession. Why? Because he's only looking at a small part. If I were to say, if I were just to tell a story and say, and the princess was saved. Well, if you hear that story, you can come with lots of of conclusions. Maybe the princess was saved, but it was a dragon that took her away, and it was an evil dragon. Maybe the princess was saved because um, there was a kingdom and she had fallen in a pit. Maybe it wasn't her fault. Maybe it was something like that. Or maybe the princess was saved because she ran away and she put herself in danger. If you only look at one part of the story, then you can look at it at very compartmentalized and not address the bigger issues. Imagine, for example, that I, I can't pay my rent. And I pray to God, God, deliver me right now. I need you. I can't take care of this. And God provides the money and the exact amount that I need is in my mailbox. And I praise God for his deliverance. But I don't stop and reflect, why did I need to be delivered in the first place? Now, I'm not saying that every time God delivers us, it's because of our own sin. I'm not saying that. But there are times when it is. Was the reason I could not pay my rent because my wife had medical emergencies and, we, and something happened that was unexpected? Or was it because I was not a good steward with my finances, that I wasted my money and it led me to that position? See, if all I do is praise God because he delivered me, but I don't reflect on why that happened, if I have a narrow perspective, it leads to a compartmentalized perspective, I don't address the real issue. And because Jonah had a compartmentalized perspective, it led to a biased perspective. In verse 7, he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. His perspective here is biased. He's saying, now I'm turning to God. But Jonah, just a few verses ago, you refused to turn to God. Your perspective is biased because you're not addressing the whole thing. And his biased perspective leads to a proud perspective. Look, he says, those 
who pay regard to vain idols. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice. Jonah's not looking at the past. He, Jonah is looking at the best of his intentions and the worst of other actions. His biased perspective has led to a proud perspective. That happens to us so often where we look at what other people do and we look at the terrible things that they do and we don't actually reflect. Jonah's making these promises and saying, God, I will sacrifice to you. I will make vows to you. Do you know what the irony is of those words? It's the same way that chapter 1 ended, but it was the sailors who sacrificed and made vows. Jonah is promising, I will do something that those who worshipped vain idols have already done. The sailors who were idol worshippers have already been transformed, have already worshipped God, have already sacrificed and made vows, and yet Jonah, with his biased and proud perspective, is saying, I will do that. His proud perspective leads to his prejudiced perspective. He says salvation belongs to the Lord. He's right. Nothing that he says in his whole prayer is wrong. It's just lacking. He says something true. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But because he sees himself as better than others, he sees himself as the gatekeeper to God's salvation. Other people don't deserve it. Israel deserves it. I deserve it. But not the Ninevites. Jonah's narrow perspective led to his biased, led to um, Jonah's narrow perspective led to his compartmentalized perspective, which led to his biased perspective, which led to a proud perspective, which led to him being prejudiced against others. We need to be so careful that we do not do the same thing. When God calls our heart, when God exposes our heart, we need to step back and try to see the bigger picture. Jonah doesn't. And yet, God delivers him. God delivers Jonah even though his growth is small. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Kids, right now what you can draw is the fish throwing up Jonah on dry land. The fish throwing up Jonah and Jonah being on dry land. God's deliverance in the end is from his discipline. First God delivered through discipline. Now God delivers from his discipline. Why? It doesn't make sense to us. It's clear that Jonah still doesn't get it. Jonah hasn't gotten the full picture. Why does God still deliver him? First reason is because God's perspective is perfect. God's perspective is not narrow. God's perspective is not compartmentalized. God sees the big picture. Romans 11:33 says, "Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and, of, and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has given, who has been His counselor, or who has been given a gift to him 
that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory and glory forever. Amen. God sees the bigger picture. God knows what's going to happen with Jonah. He sees where Jonah's story is going. God has a perfect perspective, but God also delivers because he knows that sanctification is a process. If God were to wait and say, Jonah, I will wait to deliver you from discipline once, you are, once you've learned all the lessons, then Jonah would never be delivered. That would never happen. Sanctification is a process. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Later in the same book, chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. God's pursuit is multifaceted. Our sanctification is multi-leveled. God accepts our small growth, but he is not satisfied with our small growth. God is still going to pursue Jonah. That process is going to continue. It doesn't end here. There was growth. Obviously, there are areas that Jonah still needs to grow, but God's still working on those things. We also see that God delivers because he is merciful. Romans 5 says that God saved us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God. If God were to wait to deliver us until we were perfect, we would never be delivered. God delivers because of his perspective. God delivers because he knows sanctification is progressive. God delivers because he is merciful. But the great, greatest reason that God can deliver is because he looks to the righteousness of Christ, not our own. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God didn't deliver Jonah because Jonah was perfect. God does not deliver us because we get everything right. We can't get everything right. God delivers us because of Jesus. In the first verse that we looked at, verse 17, it says that Jonah was in the belly three days and three nights. Jonah was there because of his own sin. It was his discipline. But in Jesus, we are given the sign of Jonah. Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. But it was not because of Jesus' sin. Jesus was in the grave because of our sin. Jesus took the debt of death. Jesus took our sin and put it on himself. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God can deliver us because it is not dependent on our righteousness. It is not dependent on us getting everything right. God will complete the work that he began in us, not because we're going to grow and become perfect, 
but because the transformation will be complete, that the glorification found in Christ will be placed on us. That's our hope. God delivers us, his servants, even when our growth is small. Our question is, though, is where is God pursuing us? Yes, God will finish the work, but that work should be happening right now. We should be daily becoming more like Jesus. So the question for you is, where is God pursuing you? Now, that's not a question that I'm just going to ask you. It's a question I've been asking myself this week. And I'm I'm actually going to share what God has done this last week in two specific ways that I felt that God demonstrated his pursuit of me. His first pursuit was in my lack of being a willing participant in the mission that God has given me. One of the missions that God has given me is to be a father to my children, to invest in their lives. One of the things that God really laid on my heart this week was my neglect of that task because of this. That so many times, uh, earlier this week on uh, Tuesday night, my wife was doing a rehearsal um, for the Tunkhannock High School play, and she was helping out there. And what I found myself doing is I put on something for the kids to watch, then I found something for me to watch. All of us in the same room, but the investment in my children, the investment, the participation in the mission that God has given me, I wasn't participating in. So what do I do? What, when God exposed my heart, exposed my sin, what was the solution? The first was to go to God and ask for forgiveness. God, I'm neglecting the mission you've given me. The second was a new experience, at least in this specific circumstance. Going to my children and asking them for their forgiveness. Asking them for forgiveness for not doing the job that God has given me before them. And God used that. God used that in their lives and God used it in my life. Now it's not just asking forgiveness, it's not just repenting. Now it's a journey. I can tell you how many times this last week that that motor skill of just like the habit of pulling it out and just searching for something instead of no. This is time to invest in my family. That's a small way, but a way that God has been pursuing me for a while, but I've been ignoring it. The second way was in my heart of pity and mercy for the lost. We've been praying as a church for opportunities to share the gospel. God, give us places where we can share the gospel. And God gave me an opportunity this last week. Our local funeral director, uh, Steve Young, in the past has asked, hey, if there's ever someone that needs a funeral done and needs a pastor, would you be willing to do that? And I said, yes, I would, and I've done it in the past. Well, this week he called me and he said, hey, a a gentleman died and, and the family would like a pastor to do a graveside service. But I had no information. Didn't know the person, didn't know the family, didn't know anyone. And I was anxious. The anxiety of, I'm going to stand before people and, and, and not, I don't know what I'm going to do. Now, I've made it clear to Steve that, hey, I'll do it. But you need to know, if I do it, whenever you ask me to do that, I will be sharing the gospel. As long as everyone understands that that's what's happening, I am more than willing to do it. But what God convicted my heart was with, 
Because I was willing to obey. I was going to do it. At, at no point was I thinking, ah, I don't want to, I'm not going to do this. The problem, though, was with my heart for the lost. The problem was that my entire concern was with my own feelings and how insecure I felt. Instead of my concern for the people who might be destined and on their way to hell, and this was the opportunity. What God convicted me was, was Stephen, stop caring about yourself. Start praying for these people. So I did. Steve had sent me the names of the people, the family, and so every day I spent time praying, God, help me to pray, help the gospel to affect this person. Help me to stop worrying about my feelings and to do what you've told me to do and share your word. As the worship team comes up, my question for you is where is God pursuing you? God delivers us through discipline. God might be pursuing you at a time now, but he's not doing it out of spite. He's doing it to reach your heart. Where is God pursuing you? As you recognize God's deliverance, don't just praise God for his salvation. Understand, repent what led to that need. Seek to grow in the things that God is pursuing you. Address the sin. God delivers us even when the growth is small. But our prayer and our desire is that that sanctification, that process would be ongoing and that growth would become large.